Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 Euro in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school. More chances, more prizes, more reason to enter. Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Left Wing Rugby World Cup almost daily. We've uh, slackened off a little bit in the last couple of days, but it is semi-final weekend. Ireland have returned back to Dublin. We've seen Joe Schmidt uh, chatting in, the, in Dublin Airport. Their World Cup is over, but there's two really exciting games to come this weekend. And I think once Irish fans get over hope, the disappointment, hopefully everyone will be up early at the weekend to watch them. Uh, unfortunately, Keane has gone home, Keane Tracy, but uh, Rory O'Connor here and Jonathan Bradley's with me. We've just been at the All Blacks team announcement. We'll hear from the Barrett brothers a little little bit later. Um, we're waiting on the England team, although we believe George Ford will be in. Uh, the All Blacks made one, uh, made a change with uh, Scott Barrett coming into the back row. Uh, Jonathan, I think we'll probably start with this one. We'll, we'll go into both semi-finals over the course, uh, course of our chat. This is the one I'm really looking forward to. I mean, see the All Blacks in person at the weekend, last weekend, for while... Ireland didn't really give them a huge amount of a game. was an amazing thing to watch. They're so good. And yet, the sense that England might... Well, I think they will put more up more of a fight than Ireland will and will put, cause them a couple of problems that maybe they haven't been caused so far in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I think this would obviously be a fitting final. I think these are the two best teams in the world. And as you mentioned, while we spoke throughout probably this year that this probably isn't a vintage All Blacks performance, I think, or sorry, vintage All Blacks team. What we've seen is even a non-vintage All Blacks team is still capable of really sort of thrilling performances when you detach the fact that it was Ireland on the end of it. You know, watching it back, some of the stuff that they're able to do is fantastic. And it is going to be a really, really intriguing prospect to see a better team than Ireland try and combat that. I went to see Eddie Jones on Tuesday. He put himself up for me to, like, I was spending a bit of time with the English journalists because I was staying in the same hotel as them and I know a few of them from the Lions and there was this frisson of excitement on Tuesday morning that uh, Eddie was going to that him and uh, Owen Farrell were up and that's apparently really unusual for early in the week Farrell hates new media he only ever puts himself up for team announcement day and they thought they were going to be naming their team that day but it turned out he was going for a bit of spygate uh, throwing out the accusation that they'd been spied upon and John Mitchell went further and said look that we you know if that's what the All Blacks are doing then they must be getting a bit desperate which uh, kind of did def- definitely link them Hansen was responding to it today really the key theme apart from that has been pressure and it's who handles the pressure better and in my head I keep going back to what Steve Hansen said after uh, they beat Ireland about experience and the fact that the All Blacks experience is almost purely of winning that they what did he say today? They faced it, they faced the pressure. They ran away from the pressure in 2007, but they've learned to face into it. Um, and I know press conference stuff is probably bore, bore some people, but there's a reason that they do it, and they're obviously trying to detract from it. But I think the experience of pressure thing is really interesting because again, again as Hansen said today, 
England's experience of World Cups is of going out in the, in the pool stages four years ago, very pointedly saying that. And while the All Blacks are, are chasing a, a three-peat, they're used to winning at this, this tournament. When it comes down to it, we saw Bowdenbar kick off the game last week with a smile on his face and finish it saying he had a load of fun out there. The All Blacks are relishing this moment. It's up to England to see how well they respond to the inevitable pressure that comes on most of the, pretty much all their players, I think, playing in their first semi-final. Yeah, because there's been, you know, you say people probably get a bit bored of press or stuff. I don't think you could have got bored of this this week. This has been great theatre all week. You've been with England, I've been at the New Zealand pressers, and then obviously we were both there, both there today. And the back and forth between the two coaches, even the sort of buzz of excitement when they were both up on the same day and who was going to say what, you know, you had Steve Hansen completely sort of lost in it all throwing the lack of a global calendar onto uh, the Six Nations sides and saying, there's your headline. Obviously, little did he know what Eddie Jones was going to say at the same time with his yeah. uh, spy gate and pressure and uh, everything else that he was coming out with. It really was a, a tour de force and, I suppose, trying to shift the narrative. And then Hansen's response today, like, so impressive and it's so entertaining. Like, this idea of them almost trying you know, a tennis match of returning serve of who who's the one under pressure it's um it's certainly lively probably livelier than we've had over over the last couple of weeks it's a very different it's a very different way of doing media i think and there's probably no tangible way of measuring the effect that it has until we see i suppose how the teams pitch up but the point you make about Bowden barrett and just how much enjoyment they're taking from their rugby Probably them and Japan are the teams that have looked like they're really relishing, I suppose, the opportunity of this World Cup. And it's going to be really interesting to see England tested. I think we can say that's maybe being unfair to their performance against Australia. But this is certainly a huge, huge step up, both in terms of the opposition, but also the occasion. And I probably think that New Zealand are going to edge it one score 10 points maybe but I do think that the prospect of seeing that sort of Saracens core that we've seen have such an effect for England and the Lions going up against the All Blacks once again like in the week that's in it it's just such such a sort of energising prospect it's hard to talk about this game without having Ireland in the back of your mind and assessing what happened last week and I don't want to dwell on it too much because we've already had two po podcasts talking about it but you know stuff, stuff has been said since uh, Ireland returned home um, and when, even when you're listening to Bowden Barrett talk about embracing the pressure just watching footage of the, the, the pre-match on Saturday and the, like the Irish players body language they looked like a worried team beforehand whereas he was smiling and joking and he'd been there before and then just to hear Eason Asiwa come out yesterday and say on a Sky Sports podcast that um, I don't want to misquote him but basically they adopted the Leinster model for 2018 and became a more open attacking side and then regressed back to what they had been doing beforehand that Joe Schmidt had kind of opened the door to that style and then gone back to it and I believe I haven't listened to it in full but I, I believe Brian O'Driscoll echoed that on off the ball last night I mean it's, that's, and then Schmidt, Schmidt himself spoke in Dublin airport as well and I think most people have seen that um, that, that uh, event that's been broadcast and, and been printed in the paper what have you made of, of, of those comments and, and how they all reflect on what was a terrible day out on last Saturday for Ireland? I suppose to take it chronologically, you have Joe Schmidt arriving into Dublin Airport and at the very end of a fairly long answer that contains a number of caveats, he says, 
if I had my time again, I would have done things differently. And I suppose for me, maybe the disappointment was obviously speaking off the cuff, but it took him quite a long time to get to that. The sort of the real kernel of it going through, you know, knocks and um, niggles and the opposition and so on and so forth. But I think when you hear the quotes from Nisewa and I listened to the O'Driscoll stuff this morning on the train, I think there is a certain amount of obvious revisionism there. It's interesting, I think, that they're both touching on the same on the same point and obviously both you would have to say still connected they move in with the Leinster circles. players. Yeah. yeah. And probably a senior Leinster player group. I think I would probably disagree with the premise somewhat that Ireland played this hugely expansive game in 2018 and then came into 2019 and shut up shop. I don't think that's how it was. We've spoken at length over various podcasts about the difference in Dan Levy and Josh van der Flair and the difference in the way that allows you to play. That, to me, is probably a much more of a root cause than, oh, they just decided to stop offloading because it wasn't like they were chucking the ball around when they were no. at their height. And then the game plan on Saturday, and I've, I've been one of, very critical of Joe over the last couple of days, but the game plan wasn't the problem because they actually caused openings. It was the players' inability to execute that play at that, that game plan and that does come back to their preparation and their mental preparation and their skills preparation and maybe the fact that they hadn't been doing this style of play enough and I think I can't remember who it was I've listened to so much and listened to over the last couple of days but someone was saying you can't just go to that game plan now Joe was always able to kind of produce something for the All Blacks games and the players had the confidence and the ability to deal with it something about their preparation seemed to slip. And that's the mental slip that Joe Schmidt talked about with, with the rhythm. You know, he talked about the fact that we started looking beyond this. We started focusing in on this World Cup quarterfinal instead of going day-to-day focus. Now, there's obviously a combination of lots of different factors. There's those injuries. And in fairness, Nassiwa did touch on that as well. I, I agree with you. They weren't all singing, all dancing. I actually go back to... I, I've, the more I've thought about this, the more I think that the high point was maybe the November 17 game against South Africa, who were terrible that day, but Ireland were just vibrant they were you know they scored unbelievable tries their handling was great they were tip on passes there was um really exciting uh ways of playing every time they made a tackle they were whooping and hollering and kind of maro toje style there was a real body language thing and they kind of carried that momentum through and they kind of that they stopped doing that over the course of time but anyway that's that's all part of the, the kind of the way things went and culminated in that terrible performance last weekend but it's it is very interesting to hear two of joe schmidt's most loyal lieutenants come out with, with, with those comments and obviously there's a disappointment there within the group it's that well, we heard a lot on Sunday Saturday Sunday Monday that Ireland failed to evolve I think when you eventually when the books come out that's what that will mean you know what, what, what does that actually mean well it means that they didn't adopt to the Stuart Lancaster way of playing the more modern heads up approach I think where they were I think at first during that Six Nations win they might not be exciting but they were able to go through 30, 30 odd 40 odd phases on the line and keep a team guessing enough that they didn't turn it over. Maybe, like, it wasn't what we, we term as expansive, but maybe they felt much more empowered to do things on the fly and not just follow the plan routinely. I just think that for those two players to come out in that former players to come out in that way and be that strong without being, you know, it's not bombastic language, but it's very, very cutting analysis, and it, I think it will hurt Joe. Absolutely, you know, <laughs> I heard you speaking on the off the ball as well, just about the idea that, if the players in 2019 are really that concerned about what the likes of us think, then their focus 
isn't where it should be and some of the I think some of the stuff that's come out has been the backlash against the backlash the backlash against the backlash Michael Flatley leading the, I was going to say leading the dance but um, a retweet from Michael Flatley has to be one of the highlights <laughs> of my World Cup personally yeah I just think some of it's fairly cringeworthy to be honest like I think for all the praise that they get when they're good to s- expect that basically players giving it their all is going to guard against any critique of a performance is it's not personal ridi- it's, it's absolutely not personal like because of obviously the makeup of the team, you would probably know an awful lot of the players better than I would. So I would have personal relationships with very few of these players. So you know it couldn't be personal, basically. Yeah. And but I do think that while I would say that if they care about what we think, I don't really understand that. But for two players that Joe Schmidt would have trusted so much and two players that he achieved so much with. I think that will really, really sting. It will, it will. We should go back to the semi-finals because I didn't really <laughs> want to talk about Ireland today, but this has kind of been our, our week, going out for a bit of dinner after after finishing work and kind of picking through the little the threads that have been there all mm. week. It's just, it's hard to move away from that performance and that, that event last Saturday, but there is two massive games this weekend. Do you think, in your heart of hearts, that England, like, I, I tipped England to win this tournament, I'm not sure now, having seen what we saw from the All Blacks and looking even at the fact that England have only beaten the All Blacks twice in almost 20 years, it's very hard to see. For all that they have the Lions, the past history, I don't see them being able to hurt the All Blacks in the same way the All Blacks are able to hurt them. No, I was exactly the same as you. I tipped tipped England to win uh, before we left, but just on the basis of what we've seen, I've been really impressed with the All Blacks. I mean, we talk about adaptability and evolving. I was probably as skeptical as anyone about throwing the baby out with the bathwater when it came to taking the world's best 10 and turning them into a 15. But the evidence of what we've seen there and we'll always remember their performance against Ireland, but the five minutes against South Africa, albeit it was only five minutes, is some of the most impressive and classically All Blacks thing that I've ever seen in person. and. They really have sort of changed my mind over the course of a couple of weeks, but obviously especially especially last week. The, the way they've evolved has been really, really impressive. Their attacking game, and it's kind of been used as a stick to beat Ireland, and that's that's kind of fair enough. You mentioned Bowden Barrett there. We should probably hear from him. We were at his press conference. He was sitting alongside Geordie, but we'll probably just play jo- Bowden because in fairness, Geordie didn't have a whole lot to say for himself. <laughs> Two former Mead men, they spent a bit of time in Ireland, and uh, Bowden was talking about he caught up with Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood, a couple of other, other golfers who just who've timed their trip to Japan very, very nicely. We saw we all saw Rory McIlroy laughing a kind of a, a bit of gallows humor after Robbie Henshaw knocked on last Saturday but Bowden Barrett was asked in today's press conference about meeting Rory yesterday and then he, he talked a little bit about uh, dealing with the pressure and the fact that playing with a smile on his face and embracing the moment so let's hear from Bowden a bit now I'm not sure. It's, um, I mean, as a back, the skill sets required from a 10 and 15 are pretty similar. Uh, for Geordie, I guess he can cover the midfield too, so uh, probably because of his size and physicality. Whereas Scoot, uh, because of his skill set, 
has good handling skills and ball carrying ability, it's why well, he can probably play six well too. I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, we take a lot of pride in every opportunity we get to put the black jersey on, and uh, we're lucky to get another one this weekend, and um, it's obviously a pretty big game. Yeah, there's a bit, bit, uh, bit of chat about both games actually. Um, he's obviously in the crowd and he's a proud Irishman and um, yeah, he, he is pretty happy with. Uh, I mean, he was complimentary of how we played. Um, he wasn't too happy with the result, obviously, but um, it was just good to have a chat. Uh, he's a great down-to-earth guy, and um, obviously I love golf. He loves rugby and watches, still watches from the States, so it was pretty cool to share some time with him yesterday. Yeah, it, I mean... We had to remind ourselves before the game, like as the pressure comes on, you just have to take a moment to realise where you are and ultimately playing a game that you love. So enjoying those moments as much as possible is so important. And um, yeah, if we play well, obviously it's, it helps um, with that factor. But um, at the end of the day, it's just a game and we're out there giving it our best and hopefully having fun doing so. He's some player, isn't he, Jonathan? Yeah, he's been incredible, incredible to watch. Like, I think personally, I would have went with Kieran Reid from on the match on yeah. Saturday. But Outstanding. The way that he plays and the confidence that he plays with, the verve that he plays with, and obviously the 14 guys ahead of him really, really helped that. But such, just I think he's a really impressive character as well. Like, he was so even today, he's so relaxed, and you know, you can sense. Maybe even last week, some of the players getting a bit frustrated with how much they were being asked about the opposition. And obviously the one theme this week really has been Eddie Jones and pressure. And he just kind of laughs it off. And, you know, obviously it's a big week for the, well, huge week for the family to have uh, the three of them then involved in the semi-final. And I just think that the way that he's playing, it really does make you sort of wonder just how good a fullback could he have been if he had have played even more, you know, when Dan Carter was the 10? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, they used him as that number 23 to come on and change games. And in fairness, in the last World Cup final, having started really well, Australia came back into it and he came on and just scored that try and just put everyone else to, to, at ease, you know. And the World Cup experience is really important. I'm just looking at it there because Reid was talking and Steve Hansen has been very effusive and in fairness, he gave one of... Two of the greatest individual performances I've seen have been Kieran Reid in the 2017 First Lions Test and that one last Saturday. I mean, his skills and his power and his leadership are just incredible. And I, there's a really good article, I think it's on New Zealand Herald, about how he has kind of changed the culture around the All Blacks. As one of the remaining winners, the two-time winners, he's come in and embraced the, the new guys and said, right, like, you guys can speak in any meeting that you're in. You know, don't think this is a hierarchy. Just because I've won two World Cups doesn't mean I, my voice is more important than yours. Like... It sounds like they brought the 2015 group was very much Richie McCaw's gang of five or six, and it was that was the way they ran things. Whereas Reed has come in and gone, no, that's not what we're going to do anymore. That's not where what we're about. I think I can actually see Jordan uh, Body Barrett walking behind you. Um, they seem to be in and out. Where I'm staying right beside their hotel, but um, he has been really impressive, and he he. Uh, 
I would have doubted him as a captain a little bit. I think sometimes, I mean, that ma massive moment where he didn't really communicate well with Roman Poit at the end of the 2017 Lions series when, you know, ever, the whole world thought that was a penalty and he gave a scrum and the game ended up being drawn. Whether Barrett would have kicked it is, 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 is in question. But his ability to perform on the big day in a way that, you know, I think all 15 Ireland players will look at that and go, that's a big thing we can take away that we didn't bring it on the biggest day. Although Roy Best, in fairness, did play well. His, he, like, he was a 10 out of 10 performance last Saturday at the biggest moment when his team needed him and he led the way. Some of those tip-on passes, incredible. But it's just the reinvention of him as well. You yeah. know, when you go back and you look at, and I was doing this last night, just looking at some of the commentary, really around that last Ireland game where his captaincy was called into question, his place in the team was called into question. He'd had the back surgery the year before and he was essentially ridden off. And when you think about Kieran Reid in years gone by, you think about him out wide and rampaging in the wider channels. But watching the game back, some of the stuff that he does in close quarters now is just unbelievable. He's not as fast as he used to be, but it's his hands, his hands and his brain are his brain's so fast, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk about uh, World Cup experience. He's not missed a minute of the knockout games in 2011, 2015, and now 2019. So for somebody that we were probably riding off physically, he turns 34 the day of the quarterfinal. For him to still be shouldering such a load for this team, it's as much as their adaptability, as much as Bowden Barrett's brilliant, as much as Richie Moonga has really given his stamp, for me, the story of this team has been the reinvention of Kieran Reid. So I think we're both going for the All Blacks. Yep. Stephen Donnell, I interviewed him last earlier last week. No, it wasn't him. Sorry, it was it was Nasiba. Said that the winner is coming from this game. Like he said, almost certainly the winner will come from this game. But there is another semi-final. Before we talk about that, we should probably give Keane a shout out because he's he's back at home. Hopefully he's tuning in. But finally, after he left, we got to eat some fish because uh, Keane doesn't he's not a fan. We're at the fish market this morning. We've seen a bit of like with Ireland gone. There's been a bit more chance to see a bit of the, bit of country. You're out in Yokohama this week. Have you, have you managed to get around at all? Uh, not so much, really. I think um, I was saying yesterday, like when you go on TripAdvisor in Yokohama, and I'm sure it's a lovely place, but <laughs> the first three suggestions are uh, shopping mall, a train ticket to Tokyo Airport, and a day trip to Tokyo. So I'm going to have to explore a bit more, I think, to find out what the city has to offer, because it's obviously a bit more bit more hidden when it comes to looking online anyway. But yeah, um, definitely, I think Kane would have hated this morning, because we followed up a fish breakfast with coffee, so... Neither of his favourite things. I think I'm going to try and use a metaphor of the oyster that I took on in the fish market this morning to to, to uh, compare it to Wales's task against the uh, the Springboks. It was you have to pretty monstrous. <laughs> I didn't really. I kind of I bottled it halfway through, and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a very pleasant experience. It was it was very nice, but it was uh, I've never seen nothing like it. The game on Sunday, it's kind of after normal show a little bit. I mean, I've mainly been focusing on the other one, I have to confess. I did write a piece about Fafta Clerk today. Um, he's been one of the stars of this World Cup. as one of the smallest men, and there has been a bit of a trend of small men uh, really impressing at this World Cup. Like, Wales were terrible. Like, I mean, Ireland was looking at Wales and going, these guys are a joke in, in so many ways. I mean, the regions never do anything. The players they have starring at this World Cup are players that the Irish lads look at and go, we're better than them. And yet they're in their second semi-final in three. They were really close to getting another one last time. And they absolutely, for want of a better word, poxed their way into the, into, into the semi-final. I mean, France ha were hammering them. Even Schmidt said this. They were, like, they were definitely going to get through. And then, then Vahamina does a Vahamina, throws that elbow. And then Jacob Piper does a Jacob Piper. And Wales are in the semi-final. And now they're playing against the most powerful team in world rugby. 
with a broken squad. Navidi's gone. John Davies, we'll find out tomorrow if he's fit or not. I mean, I don't see any way they're going to beat South Africa. No, I think, you know, you're right to mention Navidi there. For me, he's probably one of the more underrated players in that setup because you talk about watching their players in the Pro 14 and them not always standing out. He's somebody that, for me, always hugely stands out when you watch him. Obviously, Tipperick is fantastic. Alan Wynne-Jones is fantastic. But I think most credit, well, apart from to Vahamina, like most credit has to go to Gatlin because you talk about being able to regenerate and to have the longevity that he's had in that position. Obviously, like taking breaks for the Lions stars and stuff maybe helps that. But, you know, we're sitting talking about, you know, did the players... You know, the shelf life of a coach with somebody even as successful as Joe Schmidt and Warren Gatlin's done twice that. Like, to get to get them to a semi-final here, I think, has been a hell of achievement. Like, you can focus in on France, but they still had to beat Australia, and I know it was an intercept and stuff, but they played very well against Australia, and that's essentially what's got them here, because otherwise they would have been playing England. I was at their first two games. Uh, they played Georgia, and that was in the wake of the Howley affair, and... We kind of, myself and one of my colleagues, got took three trains to get there because we were going like, well, this could be a bit of a shock. You know, Georgia are decent. You know, they're obviously formidable enough, kind of packed. They're not the greatest team in the world, but they could rattle Wales, and Wales could be rattled by the Howley thing, and they were so slick that night. Their, their backline moves, for a team to get no credit for the way they play, they were really slick. And then I went up to Tokyo for the game against Australia, which is probably one of the best games of the tournament so far. And the way they just took every chance that came to them, dropped the goals, um... You know, Garrett Davies' aggressive defence. They were just smarter than Australia. They were just a cleverer team. Like, they've lost They lost their starting out half before the tournament. They've had Bigger going off with concussions. They've had uh, Pacho going off as well. They've had to jig things around constantly over here. They've lost players. And yet, Gatlin's, Gatlin's teams just adapt and go on. And they've got a, they're a very sound defensive system, which, like probably relies on winning collisions and I think that could be where they fall apart against the box because really like I think this could be one of the ugliest games of the World Cup I am um, even though Wales have good good players who can go around you I think that they will dare the box to go through them and the box will take that challenge with a 6-2 split and just go hammer and tongs at it I mean they kind of it was ugly against Japan it was it was almost a beautiful ugliness the way they got that 40 meter line out mall in the second half but I just don't think you can play the way Wales do against the box and win albeit someone like Alan Jones won't be taking it, taking it lightly. But I just I think the box just have too much. I think if you're going to try and play that style, it's very difficult to play it against a team like South Africa because they're going to do it better than you. We've seen Wales, you know, even against Fiji, they tried to play the same way Fiji were playing and Fiji were doing it better than them. You know, yeah. if you're going to, you have to, I suppose, find your point of difference. And it's hard to see where Wales find that point of difference given the way... That South Africa play like you know, you're talking about two of their most exciting players are Fafta Clark and Cheslin Colby, some of the smallest players at this tournament. But the way that they won that game on Sunday night, after the first half, you know, 40 minutes into that, I was thinking, this is one of the most entertaining 40 minutes of rugby I've seen in a long time without having an awful lot of scores. Three, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it was. It was insanely entertaining stuff. Yeah. And then... It was all Japan, really. I mean, in fairness, South Africa butchered a load of chances. Yeah. They could have won that game. So, which, And that's, that's going to be the key to them actually winning this World Cup if they can, is that they need to cut that out because against Wales, Wales won't give you much and England and New Zealand definitely won't give you much. And they were proliferous... Profligate, sorry. That's a word that I always struggle with. Uh, profligate against um, New Zealand that first game. Like, they should have got more out of that yeah. first 20 minutes and they were able to be profligate against Japan. 
I think from here on in, they can't throw, like Willie Leroux can't make as many attacking errors as he did last week. Willie Leroux had a really strange World Cup, and we've seen it, you know, sometimes when he was playing for Wasps as well. Sometimes sure that Lencer try uh, yeah. in the Viva a couple of years ago when he th- threw the ball away. Like yeah, like he just sometimes has these games where he looks like he's doing an impression of a rugby player rather than being a rugby player, and then other times you see him, more often than that, you see him and he looks really, really good. So, yeah, they have to pitch up on their day. I think we've seen that, especially in the New Zealand game, that you can't afford those lapses either in terms of taking your own chances or defensive lapses. Same with what we said with Ireland. Like, If they're going to be playing in a final and we both think it's going to be New Zealand, they can't afford to be off their game in the way that they were in the first half against Japan. I do think that they'll have too much for Wales and I think that on their day they're going to be a match for New Zealand, but it's not dissimilar to the way we were talking last week. You know, they have to pitch up in a way that I hate to keep going back to it, but that Ireland didn't. And that they haven't really since that Australia game. They've kind of gotten a bit poorer as the t- uh, tournament's gone. So are we say in New Zealand, South Africa. I we're going to be watching New Zealand, South Africa in, in your your town, Yokohama, on Sunday week, <laughs> Saturday week. Yep, um, I'll definitely assess it out more by that. I think, but um, it'll be a good final. Like you know, we said it after the first game that we wouldn't have been surprised if that was the final again. And yeah. the, the entertainment on show, you wouldn't have felt hard done by if that was the final. I think. Certainly New Zealand have impressed more since. But we've seen in the Rugby Championship that South Africa are a team that can give them problems. So it would be a good final. It will be. Um, we will be back, I think, after Sunday's game. Maybe Monday. We'll see how we get on um, to review those games, look ahead to the final, and then we'll come back and preview it next week. Apologies for the noise. We thought we found a quiet corner outside my hotel. It turned out it was beside a train station. But uh, hopefully it's quiet you can actually hear us. Goes past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Cheers. The Left Wing Podcast in association with Aldi. Spend €30 in store for a chance to win €50,000 for your primary school.